A song's chorus is usually an arrival point, the place in the song where the melody, harmony, and lyrics all come together and everyone sings along. The verse comes before the chorus and the bridge comes after, but honestly, common song structure is overrated, so why not write a song with none of those things? Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and I am terrible at writing bridges. Seriously, bridges are so hard to write. I don't know how people write them well. If you know the secret to a good bridge, please tell me. Strong Songs is a one-man operation, but that's only partly true. I couldn't make this show without support from listeners like you, and I wouldn't want to make it if I didn't know that you were all out there listening. If you'd like, there's a lot of ways you can support me making this show, from buying merch, to becoming a patron, to just sharing the show with your friends. Now, I've made episodes of Strong Songs focusing on two, three, even five different songs, but those tiny numbers pale in comparison with the gigantic number I'll be tackling today. Not 10, not 15, but 21 tiny songs by one of my favorite bands, so let's pass the milk, knock on the wall, and get into it. The human mind has a fascinating, ever-changing relationship with music. The more we listen and the more we learn, the more we develop subconscious shorthands and associations between each chord progression, groove, and melody. It eventually gets to the point where a clever songwriter can just show us a snippet of a song, just a little fingertip of the overall compositional skeleton, and our minds can fill in the blanks without hearing any more. You can probably guess where that one's going, right? a certain type of music you listen to, the more you become attenuated to that music's cultural context, to certain cues that are built into the harmonies and the melodies. You start to expect where a song is going, or at least where it might go, and it can really enrich the listening experience even or perhaps particularly when the music doesn't do what you were expecting it to do. My point is, music is about expectations, about planting an idea in a listener's mind and letting them imagine where it might go. It's actually similar to comedy in that way. A lot of music actually follows a similar format to a traditional joke. There's a setup, maybe a melody or grouping of chords or a motif, and there's a punchline, an arrival, a culmination, where whatever was initially established, say in the verse, reaches a cathartic and thrilling conclusion in what often winds up being the chorus. But what if a song didn't do that. What if instead of a full song, you only got to hear a small fragment, just enough to tease your brain into imagining the rest of the song without actually hearing it? It'd be like if a comedian got on stage and, instead of telling complete jokes, they only told the punchlines. So I said, lady, this isn't the Mall of America. Three, but the middle one has to walk backwards. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, So would you like sprinkles on that? I think that it's actually really interesting when you just give your mind a part of something. Your mind was just working, right? It began filling in the blanks, trying to figure out what the setups could have been for those punchlines, even though I just made those up right now and there are no jokes for those punchlines. Look, I know it's a fake audience, but everyone's locking down again, and I'm just going to take my human interaction where I can get it. 
The point is, there's a certain type of delight that can arise from only being given a fragment of something, whether it's a freestanding joke punchline or eight context-free bars from an otherwise non-existent song. It'll mean something different to each person who hears it since each person's imagination will take it somewhere different. It's the kind of thing I never would have actively thought about were it not for the band that I'm going to be talking about on this episode. A band who, in 1992, released a collection of seconds-long musical vignettes that functions for me like a series of unresolved joke setups or freestanding joke punchlines. 21 glimpses of larger songs that were never actually recorded in full. They're just fragments of verses, choruses, and pre-choruses presented on their own with any fuller realization left up to the listener's imagination. On this episode, a collection of bits and pieces that's been deliberately constructed to hint at something greater. If a song is a full person, we're not talking about an arm or a leg, we're not even talking about a hand. We're talking about a much smaller part, just the barest hint of the larger connected being. We're talking about the fingertips, fingertips, fingertips. Which means we're talking about the guy who hit me in the eye. Aren't you the guy who hit me in the eye? Aren't you the guy who hit me in the eye? The new friend I found underneath my pillow. I found a new friend underneath my pillow. Just who that is knocking on the wall. Who's knocking? On the wall. And so many more micro songs with so many more micro characters because it's finally time to talk about They Might Be Giants and their experimental avalanche of fragmentary mini songs known collectively as fingertips. And if you're aware of fingertips, you know that this is going to be an unusual episode of Strong Songs. Well, even if you don't know Fingertips, you're probably already aware that this is a slightly unusual episode. And that's because while Fingertips is a collected work, and in my opinion, it really holds together and it works when taken as a singular thing, it's really a collection of tiny musical ideas each of which suggests an entirely different song from the one that came before it. There are 21 of these songs, these fingertips, or really there's 10 fingers and there's 10 toes, and then at the end there's one final tune that ties it all together. Each one is just a few seconds long and they're mashed back to back at the end of an album, which makes for a disorienting and chaotic listening experience. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I already played you Aren't You the Guy Who Hit Me in the Eye. That one sounds like this. Aren't you the guy who hit me in the eye? And that's it. That's the entirety of the piece. That's all you get. You don't get any more, and you're left to imagine what the rest of the song might sound like. But you don't have much time to imagine it in the moment, because you're immediately hit by the next tune, Please Pass the Milk. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. And that's all. There's no more of that song either. The whole of Fingertips is delivered in that way, one right after the other. So as you can imagine, it's a very different kind of music than I usually talk about on this show. But that's cool, I really wanted to try something different for this episode, and I'm looking forward to the challenge of explaining Fingertips in a way that makes sense, even though it's so all over the place. I just don't understand you. From a songwriting perspective, it's such a fascinating proposition. Each of these tiny songs implies a whole musical universe with different voices, instrumentations, and approaches to melody and harmony. And taken as a whole, Fingertips comes pretty close to doing something I otherwise would have thought impossible. It captures the depth and breadth of They Might Be Giants' unique musical brilliance. 
I heard a sound. I turned around. Turned around to find the thing that made the sound. Misty. They Might Be Giants is the band name for a singing-songwriting duo, keyboard and accordionist John Linnell and guitarist John Flansberg, two friends who've been making music since the mid-1980s and who've been friends since high school in the 1970s. As I mentioned, they're one of my favorite bands. I first discovered them, like a lot of people my age, as a preteen when I was watching the animated show Tiny Toon Adventures, which featured animated music videos of several of the songs from their 1990 album Flood. Since I first heard them in the early 90s, they've released almost 20 more studio albums, they've done music for TV, film, and Broadway, their music covers a huge variety of styles and sounds to the point where the best way I could describe They Might Be Giants is like the word eclectic, I guess? Their eclectic rock genre doesn't exist. They Might Be Giants proves it. They've written hundreds of songs and dozens of styles, enough songs to boggle even the most comprehensively minded music teacher, which left me in a bit of a pickle as to which of their songs to analyze for strong songs. Part of me wanted to go with Birdhouse in Your Soul. That's an easy pick. It's one of my favorite They Might Be Giants songs. It's easily one of their best known. You can hear in the end by the light switch. Who watches over you? Make a little birdhouse in your soul. Not to put but as good as that song is, somehow covering a single They Might Be Giants song just feels inadequate. And then it hit me. This band's eclectic, magpie-like approach to music is constantly on display on every album, mainly in how they'll put these short songs on their albums. Their songs are all kind of short, but every album will have these little 20 or 30 second song snacks that they have this unique knack for writing. Minimum It is not easy to write super short songs like that, songs that use pastiche and stylistic shorthand to quickly convey tone and emotion rather than spending too much time building those things from scratch. And there was one song, or rather, one collection of songs that embodied They Might Be Giants' ability, that enviable musical flexibility and endless creativity that, more than any one sound or specific song, defines They Might Be Giants. And so I realized that my only real choice was to make an episode about their 1992 collection of mini-songs, Fingertips. The day that love came to play Fingertips was written by Johns Flansberg and Linnell, and it comes near the end of their fourth studio album, 1992's Apollo 18. It features a number of additional musicians, mostly guest vocal cameos, and I'll credit those as we go through it. It was composed in its entirety by John Flansberg and John Linnell, who also played almost all of the instruments. Flansberg played guitars and contributed vocals, and Linnell is on vocals, accordion, keyboard, and also baritone sax and bass clarinet, which just goes to show all the great songwriters also play saxophone. It was produced by They Might Be Giants and mixed by Paul Angeli and Patrick Dillett. Linnell and Flansberg have said at various points that they intended each song in the collection to get its own track number, which would allow people listening with their at-the-time new CD players on shuffle to hear the songs interspersed with the rest of the album. There's actually a little note in my uh, CD liner notes that reads, The indexing of this disc is designed to complement the shuffle mode of modern CD players. Though in those same liner notes, the lyrics for Fingertips are presented as if for a single song, and Fingertips was accidentally released as a single track in some regions of the world. I actually think it works pretty well as it's been 
been conceived. Like in order, I always listen to it in order, and I actually see a pretty clear logic in the placement and arrangement of each of the pieces. I actually think it kind of tells a story. But I usually listen to them from start to finish, and we're going to be talking about fingertips from start to finish in order. What's that blue thing doing here? Flansberg and Linnell have given lots of interviews over the years about their process. They're really thoughtful and interesting songwriters. They've done all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, I could do a whole episode just about Dial-A-Song, other experimental stuff that they've done. If you want to know more about They Might Be Giants, I recommend the 2002 documentary Gigantic, A Tale of Two Johns. It's really great. But... We've got a lot of music to cover on this episode, and I really want to get into the music, so let's get going. We're going to go in bursts here. I'm going to group the songs in kind of like threes and fours, since I think that analyzing each of these pieces individually is pretty fun to do. The real magic of fingertips is in the experience of having them hit you one right after the other. Fingertips wastes very little time getting going. It kicks off the way that so many things, including, you know, our universe, kick off with everything catching on fire. And let's keep going and listen to the next two micro pieces that come after the title track. I hear the wind blow, I hear the wind blow, it seems to say, hello, hello, I'm the one who loves you so. Hey now everybody, now hey now everybody, hey now everybody now. So those first four songs, Everything is Catching on Fire, Fingertips, I Hear the Wind Blow, and Hey Now Everybody, those act as a great sort of first act, a kind of opening gambit for fingertips. They set the ground rules up front really effectively. The first two pieces are both in the key of G. You might almost hear them as the same song, even though they're not. First, there's Everything is Catching on Fire. And then comes Fingertips, the title track, featuring guest vocalist and banjoist Peter Stamfall. Fingertips, fingertips, fingertips. So those two pieces aren't just in G, they actually move around a kind of a similar part of G. Everything is catching on fire revolves around this funny bass line. It starts on a G, and then it kind of goes, does this like, da-dum, from D up to E. And then it completes the bass melody by dropping down to C and walking back up the G scale to G. Listen for it. Everything else going on there is so classic. It's a really classic sounding They Might Be Giants song. The Johns are both singing. I think that's Flansburg in the lead and Linnell on the harmonies, though I've always found their whole vocal thing kind of interesting. Linnell has the more distinctive voice. His sound is the definitive They Might Be Giants vocal sound. He has that bright, super brassy, masky belt, like that's him in the front on Birdhouse in Your Soul. Flansberg has a more flexible voice. He has a bigger range. Um, he has a really beautiful falsetto, and he can actually sing really low as well. He'll tend to do the songs that are more like characters or a little bit more theatrical. Um, so he adds quite a bit of variety to the band's sound. What is left for me to do? 
They're really complementary in that way. Flansburg is able to match his vocal delivery to Linnell's, and that vocal mix is a crucial part of the band's distinctive sound. They're doing that here. They're singing in harmony, and there's also like a pair of baritone saxophones playing counter melodies. There are these jangly kind of harpsichord sounding keyboards going, and those actually add a lot to the sound thanks to what sounds to me like a kind of a hard angle tremolo effect that's adding a lot of motion. Let me explain what that is. So there's lots of different kinds of tremolo, but basically a tremolo effect manipulates a signal's amplitude and overall sonic quality, and it gives it a kind of pulsing feeling of motion. Here's a chord with no trem on it, and here it is with a kind of standard soft tremolo. What I'm hearing on Everything is Catching on Fire is more of a hard-edged tremolo, or a square tremolo, which performs hard cutoffs at a certain rate, and it gives you this sort of sonic strobe effect. It's pretty cool. See if you can hear it in the actual recording. It's flitting in and out around the outside of the left and right channel. Everything is catching, yes. Everything is catching on the fire. Pretty cool, right? It's a neat effect, and it can really add a sense of motion to a given recording. The whole thing just really sounds like they might be giants, and this could be the beginning of just another song on Apollo 18. because it starts in such familiar territory, it makes this first transition arguably the most important one. Fingertips, fingertips, fingertips. On that opening title track, Peter Stamfell is still in the key of G. He's going back and forth between G and E minor. The banjo is actually tuned to the key of G. I just got a banjo and I've been having a lot of fun learning how to play it. And yeah, G and E minor is really standard banjo stuff. The thing is, it might be in the same key as that opening number, but everything else has changed, and I think that's really important, and I think that's on purpose. So this is no longer one of the Johns singing, it's somebody else. The only instrument featured is the banjo, which is an instantly recognizable instrument, but it's also one that's basically never been featured on a They Might Be Giants song, or at least it's not a sound that's remotely associated with the band, so it just sounds totally different. Fingertips, fingertips, fingertips. And right after that first dramatic shift, it's immediately time for a second one. I hear the wind blow, I hear the wind blow, it seems to say, hello, hello, I'm the one who loves you so. I hear the wind blow features another guest vocalist, Nick Hill, whose lovely low voice stands in stark contrast to the reedier sounds both of the Johns, but also of Peter Stamfell. He hits that low F right there at the end, mmm, it's beautiful. I'm the one who loves you so. I'm the one who loves you so. Some people's voices just don't go down to low F. I'm the one who loves you so. This is also Fingertips' first of many key changes. We're up in the key of B flat now, up a minor third, and the harmony is entirely laid out via a counter melody. There are no chords in I Hear the Wind Blow. It's just played by a bass clarinet over on the right and some sort of a mallet instrument over on the left. I don't have a bass clarinet, so I'm faking that one with an iwi, but that's the gist. The chord progression would be super simple. It's just B flat, the one, down to the six, G minor, down to the four, to the five, and then back up to the one. About as straightforward a chord progression as you can get. I hear the wind blow, I hear the wind blow. It seems to say, hello, hello, I'm the one who loves you so. Right after Nick Hill comes yet another dramatic shift involving yet another guest vocalist. Hey now everybody, now, hey now everybody, hey now everybody now. 
You Know Everybody is sung by Elma Mayer in one of a couple of appearances that she makes on Fingertips, and yet again the tone veers wildly into a new place. This is only the fourth piece in Fingertips, and we've already covered a lot of ground. Now we're in kind of peppy rockville in a peppy rock key. We're technically in the key of E major, though this one sounds kind of like the middle of a longer phrase because it starts and ends in an unresolved place. It starts on four on an A major, and then it does this really kind of jangly, uneven thing. It goes four to one to five to four to four to one, and then it ends on five. B major chords, just really unresolved. This whole thing is kind of floating up in the air. Hey now, everybody, now, hey now, everybody, hey now, everybody now. It's easily the most tense fingertip yet, and it's not just the unresolved harmony. Over on the left, Linnell is playing this classic rock organ sound, and over on the right, Flansburg is hitting these teeny kind of crushed guitar chords. The whole thing is just really kind of tripping over itself. It's very intense and very aggressive. So we're just 34 seconds into fingertips, we've already covered so much ground, and that I think is a really effective way to begin this whole thing, because it's unsettling, right? It's disorienting to be hit with this many different musical ideas in quick succession, but the sheer variety of musical and crucially vocal styles, that's still kind of orienting in its way because it's telling us What's going on? It's telling us what to expect. It jumps from the familiar harmonies of John and John singing together into an unfamiliar male bluegrass, twangy kind of thing fingertips, fingertips. into this rich baritone male voice. I hear the wind blow. I hear the wind blow. Into aggressive female pop vocals. It sounds nothing like anything we've heard on the album, and that actually is kind of clarifying because it tells you really quickly what kind of a joke they're telling to bring it back to the comedy thing. It tells you what kind of joke this is. By the third or fourth time a person hears a punchline with no setup, they realize what the comedian is doing, and they can kind of find their footing. It's similar for a listener of Fingertips. By the third or fourth mini-song, you kind of find your balance. You let go of any preconceptions you might have had, and you just kind of go with it. It seems to say, hello, hello, I'm the one who loves you so. So let's keep going with it. I've found a new friend underneath my pillow. <laughs> so if you were initially feeling a little bit unsteady or disoriented by this music, are you maybe feeling a little bit more steady listening to that this time? I hope that you are. I hope that your ear is adjusted to this new chaotic reality that we're living in just for this episode, and that if you've never heard Fingertips before, those next two mini songs that you just heard, Who's That Standing Out the Window and I Found a New Friend Underneath My Pillow, I hope those didn't throw you quite as much as the first few might have. I love both of those tunes. Who's That Standing Out the Window it goes back to the key of G, but it's a totally different vibe because it's in a different time signature. So this one is in 6 8 time. Uh, a lot of these are in 4-4 four, four time, otherwise known as common time, where there's just four beats per bar. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, six, eight means there's three eighth notes in a beat. That's where you get boom, 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 ga, boom, 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 ga, boom, boom, one, two, three, two, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six. And that's what they're doing here with these huge hits every other beat.
The chords are actually the same two chords as the banjo chords that are played in the title tune at the beginning, G major and then E minor. But it's delivered so completely differently that you'd never guess it was the same chords. The two tunes couldn't be more different. I believe this is Flansburg singing, and he's making it sound like a new character because of what they're doing with the EQ on his voice. They're doing a sort of telephone effect where you roll off the lows and the highs and the equalization, and you give your voice this tinny, retro phone kind of a sound. It's a pretty common effect. There's so much space compared with the preceding songs that 6-8 time feel really resets your sense of the groove, so of course they blow that all up with the next song by essentially dropping the idea of having a groove entirely. I've found a new friend underneath my pillow. <laughs> this one is one of my favorites. I always picture the title being I've found a new friend and then underneath my pillow as in parentheses, you know, like they do sometimes. That just sort of seems like what they would do to name this song. This one features Brian Dewan with an incredible vocal performance. He's accompanied by an organ, sort of similar to the one that we've heard before on a Hey Now Everybody. And it also features this cheesy Seinfeld sounding slap bass. We've gone from G major, we're now up a step in A minor. The chords go A minor. Then it goes to a kind of E7 chord, you know, a five dominant chord to C major, and then to D major. So just four chords. It ends in a very unresolved place. I've found a new friend underneath my pillow. The next three fingertips offer even more jarring contrast. We go from the hard rock of Come On and Wreck My Car to the cheesy beat poetry swing of Aren't You the Guy Who Hit Me in the Eye to the children's TV jingle of Please Pass the Milk. Come on and wreck my the milk please please pass the milk please please pass the milk please so come on and wreck my car is one of the most straightforward of the fingertip songs i think anyways it's really easy to imagine the full version of this one that's partly because it's a little bit longer than your average fingertip but also just because it's such a rock cliche you know it's it's such a pastiche from the chords to the melody to the groove everything about it come on and wreck my This combination kind of groove and chord progression has turned up in a billion different songs. We're in B minor now, and this is just a good old rock in one minor to flat three major to four major. From Smoke on the Water to like a million other songs, it's a very, very common chord progression. It's kind of synonymous with rock. And it's a good example of how They Might Be Giants is really good at using pastiche and stylistic shorthand to quickly convey things to the listener. In this case, we're listening to a rock song. You can totally easily imagine how the rest of this song would sound. Come on! I really like the vocal harmonies here as well. They're doing something cool with contrast and with contrary motion, and that makes it sound pretty nice. So they're in a standard formation for this band. Linnell is in the lead, and Flansburg is harmonizing up high. That's typically what they do since Flansburg has that nice kind of versatile upper register. Linnell's lead part is doing some good contrary motion with the chord progression. The chords here, remember, are going B minor to D to E. And his vocals do the exact opposite. They walk down from B to A 
to G sharp. It's textbook contrary motion to have the vocals moving in an opposite direction from the chord progression, and it sounds really cool. Come on! So you can probably hear it there, Flansburg's part, it adds some nice contrast as well by staying in one place on one word. He just sings, come on, he's up on an F sharp, and he just sits there on that F sharp. That note works on all three chords. So while Linnell is moving down, the higher part that Flansburg is singing is just staying put on an F sharp. It adds even more contrast, and that's a cool trick. It's really rocking and dramatic. So listen to it all the way through, and pay attention in particular to the vocals. Listen to those vocal harmonies, the way that Linnell's lead part in the middle moves down while the chords are moving up so they're in contrast to one another and then how while those two parts move up and down in contrast Flansburg's part adds a third kind of contrast by staying totally still all right ears on let's see if you can hear it come on so now it's time for some jazzy swing Aren't You the Guy Who Hit Me in the Eye shifts to cheesy, jazzy swing. It's just drums. It's really just hi-hat and bass drum, bass and baritone saxophones. So there's a hi-hat playing this classic splang, splang, lang hi-hat swing pattern. A bass is playing this goofy sort of walking bass line in C-sharp minor. It just walks around on C-sharp minor for a second, goes up to A major for like the blink of an eye, and then back to C-sharp minor. The baritone saxophones are doing this kind of weird semi-improvised accompaniment throughout. Pretty sure that's Flansburg there singing, or at least he's in the lead. I think there's more than one vocal track here. He's doing a character voice here. It's this weird, squished low voice. Again, you can really hear how flexible his voice is. And of course, that's setting up a huge contrast for the return of Elma Mayer. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. So we're kind of ping-ponging around here between low voices and high voices, groovy dirges and clean, high-tempo stuff. It feels really deliberate to me, like they're trying to consciously have as much contrast as possible between each fingertip. Please Pass the Milk is one of the most stripped down of all of the songs in fingertips. It's just keyboard and bass playing very sparse parts with Mayer's plain spoken vocals on top. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Now, please pass the milk may sound familiar to you, and that is not an accident. Harmonically, it shares a lot in common with a very famous piece of music that actually broke down on a TV theme songs episode way back in year one. Yes, just like Danny Elfman's Simpsons theme, Please Pass the Milk is totally built on the tritone, the sharp four or the flat fifth. It's actually also in the same key or the same starting key. The Simpsons theme changes keys like 600 times over the course of its run, but they both start in C, and the bass line for Please Pass the Milk bounces between C and the tritone, F sharp. Listen for it. Please pass the milk, please. You hear it? Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Both pieces have that sort of ungainly oompa oompa energy, and they both lean into the awkwardness of the tritone in the same way. The melody the mayor is singing also incorporates the tritone. Please pass the milk, milk. 
She has that F sharp there at the end. That's the tritone. In terms of rhythm, her melody is actually a hemiola. Her melody is like in six. It's a six beat long melody. Or really, it's a four beat melody followed by two beats of rest while the rhythm section is playing a kind of four count phrase. So it's six over four. So she'll sing, please pass the milk, please one, two. Please pass the milk, please one, two. Please pass the milk, please. And as a result, her phrase is like going in a circle that's slightly bigger than the circle that the bass and the keyboard are going in. So as a result, they come unaligned and then realign every other time. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. Please pass the milk, please. It's actually rhythmically pretty hip, and harmonically, it's that distinct Lydian sound that I'm not going to get too much more into here, because I already talked about it. If you want to hear more about it, go check out the animated TV theme songs episode that I did back in year one. I talked all about the Simpsons theme, uh, which is a great theme, and man, it is lousy with tritones. So, a distinct and instantly identifiable sound. Very smart of them to use it here, because, like I said, it provides a huge contrast from the tune that preceded it. And immediately after please pass the milk comes the tenth fingertip, the transition point, as I envision it, between fingers and toes, where everything breaks down and fingertips enters a new, stranger, darker stage. The grandiose Leave Me Alone paves the way for a trio of songs about loneliness, paranoia, and just plain weirdness. Who's knocking on the So I kind of joked that this is the transition from fingers to toes, or I guess fingertips to toe tips, but I do think that Leave Me Alone is a pivot point in fingertips, and it makes sense that it occurs at the halfway point. It's the tenth song that is played in this collection. Harmonically, it's yet another straightforward chord progression that ends in an unresolved chord. Linnell is playing this huge pipe organ sound. He's in C-sharp major, it goes C-sharp, the one, to the four chord, F-sharp, to the two major, D-sharp major, and it just ends there, which makes it sound really unresolved. The drums are playing more of a beat than a groove, if that distinction makes sense. It's just this flam thing that kind of drives it all forward, but the melody is actually pretty cool. Here are the notes of the melody, just on piano, totally taken away from the recording, in order. Most of you out there who play instruments will probably recognize that sequence of notes. It's just a major scale, a C-sharp major scale descending. It doesn't really sound like one in the context of the song, though, and it's a good example of how a chord progression can totally change the way that a melody sounds. Here's a major scale melody fun fact. Another very famous melody is just a descending major scale. You might know it. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. I've always enjoyed that Joy to the World is just a descending major scale, and now that I've noticed that the same thing is true of They Might Be Giants' Leave Me Alone, I can never unhear it. Leave me alone. 
Knocking on the Wall is pure vibe. The melody is just two notes, an F and an E, sung down low by guest vocalist Brand Dewan. It's accompanied by electric guitar, bass, and either an actual theremin or a theremin-style synth. I've discussed the theremin on the show several times. It's this really cool electronic instrument that generates a smooth signal. It sounds a bit like a robot whistle. It's a sound you'll hear in countless sci-fi movies. It's over on the left here. Who's knocking on the I really like that guitar sound. It's this super dry, bright, bridge-focused thing. If you've ever strummed a guitar, you actually know that it makes a pretty big difference where on the strings you strum. If you think of the area over the guitar body as the strum zone, you know, anywhere that you can strum the pick across the strings, you can strum all the way up near the neck of the guitar or all the way down near the bridge where the strings connect near the base of the guitar. That'll get you very different sound. If you play these chords, an F major to a B flat up by the neck, it sounds richer and more harp-like. And if you play those same chords and strum way down near the bridge, it gets a thin, cutty sound. That second sound is what Flansburg is doing, and this is why guitars usually have multiple pickups. So pickups are the things that convert the sound of the guitar into the electrical signal that then goes out through the cable and into the amplifier. And on two pickup guitars, which are pretty common, some have three, some have more, but two is pretty common, the two pickups are located at the neck and the bridge of the guitar because that gives players the flexibility to kind of pick how much of each pickup they want and they can kind of mold a sound out of the full tonality of the instrument. Here Flansburg is probably using his bridge pickup to get that twangier, brighter sound. It's a sound that invokes a certain vibe, you know, you'll hear it in westerns and spy movies, and particularly when it's combined with that eerie theremin-like sound, it really defines the vibe of Who's Knocking on the Wall. Who's knocking on the All Alone is another one that just sounds like a classic They Might Be Giant song. Linnell and Flansburg are right in their usual vocal places. Linnell is on the bottom, and he does when he says, All bah. He pronounces by in this very distinct John Linnell kind of a way that just... I said I would stop using the word iconic, but I feel like it is one of his iconic types of pronunciation. We're back in 6-8 time here, or maybe just 3-4, 1, 2, 3, 2, 2, 3. But the tricky thing about this piece is that it doesn't start on 1, it starts on 2. So just for a brief second, it kind of messes with you rhythmically. It's 1, all alone, and lone is the downbeat. So the counting is 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. We're in the key of C here. The harmony is pretty straightforward. It's kind of just moving from 5 to 1 to 4 to 5 to 1. But I kind of do want to hold on that just because fingertips is actually pretty straightforward harmonically in general. Like a lot of the pieces in this collection are pretty straightforward. There's some less common chords. There's like two major, flat three major, some slash chords. But the majority of the chords in these songs are just 1, 4, 5, and 6 minor. So the huge variety here, everything sounds so super different, that kind of underlines how much you can do with just a few basic chords. The one, the four, the five, maybe the six, the two, there's a couple other chords they throw in there, but you don't need to know a ton of chords to write very, very different sounding music. So after all alone comes another one of my very favorite fingertips. What's that blue thing? Doing here. 
What is that blue thing doing here? It's maybe the funniest of all the fingertips because it really leans into the humor of the unspoken. They're suggesting something here, right? And suggesting something is funny in a unique way because the joke isn't in front of you, the joke is in your head. Every single one of you who just heard that imagined something different when you heard, what's that blue thing doing here? The blue thing is different to every single one of you. And in a way, that's kind of richer and weirder and funnier than if the song actually continued and we found out what the specific blue thing that John Flansburg is singing about looks like. What's that blue thing doing here? It's a question with no answer, and harmonically, it's actually structured the same way. We're in D major now. We start on the one chord, a big D major chord that just kind of sits there for a little bit, and then they play a 2-5, an E minor, the 2, to A dominant, the 5, and they just leave it unresolved on that A dominant chord. That's not the first time they've done that. A lot of fingertips actually end on an unresolved five chord. And here it's just, it's really fitting because the song is an unanswered question and it's accompanied by an unresolved cadence. What's that blue thing doing here? Like I mentioned before, this part of fingertips really gels for me thematically. Leave me alone is such this demand. It kind of sends us crashing down to a darker place. Who's knocking on the wall? It's the kind of paranoid, lonesome question you might ask if you were now all by yourself and not sure what you were hearing. All alone, all alone, all by myself. That one's pretty self-explanatory. And what's that blue thing doing here? Like, it's really weird and it doesn't really make sense, but I, I don't know why, but somehow it just sort of gels with those other songs. So things have gotten lonesome, things have gotten weird. It's time for something new to come along and pull us out of our funk. Something grabbed a hold of my hand. I didn't know it had my hand, but that's when all my troubles began. I love this song, The Lone Fingertips, sung by the wonderful country singer Amy Allison. I like it because it's all set up, and it's this perfect setup, just this perfectly constructed pop setup. It builds and, like, establishes itself and really just gets the groove going, and then it just stops and leaves us hanging right where a full song would just be getting going. Something But just like with all of these songs, you don't really need any more. It's, it's just enough. It's just enough of a taste to give you a sense of the flavor of the overall dish. This dish is in the key of A major. It does a pretty involved but also pretty common series of chords. It starts on D, the four chord. There's that four chord again. Then it goes up to E, the five chord. There's that five chord again. And then it does what a lot of songs, especially piano player written songs that I've talked about on the show like to do. And that is a big old major scale walk down using chord inversions to move along with the bass down a linear path. The bass here just basically moves down an A major scale, though it changes octaves a few times. The chords move beautifully along with that in a fairly involved chord progression. It starts up on an A major, then it goes to C sharp minor over G sharp, then F sharp minor, then E, D, C sharp minor, B minor, E, and finally resolves to A major. The upshot is that it feels like a climb down some grand staircase landing on that big A major chord at the end. The arrangement is great too. The organ is back, it's over on the left, and that sprangly harpsichord-like sound is back on the right. They pair with the bass to make for this shimmering harmonic chandelier.
I know that all of these songs are good, but this one is really so good. Something grabbed a hold of my hand. I didn't know what had my hand. But that's when all my troubles began. We never learn what kind of troubles began, but the next song, the 15th fingertip, gives us a sense of what one might have been. I don't understand you. I don't understand you. I just don't understand you. I don't understand you. I don't understand the things you say. I can't understand a single word. I don't understand you is one of the longest songs in fingertips, and in a certain way, it's also one of the funniest. I cannot understand you. I don't understand you. They might be giants are big fans of repetition. They like saying things over and over in funny ways. I don't understand you has a lot of repetition, partly because Flansburg sings the words I don't understand you a bunch, also because it's it's sort of structured as this call and response with this I don't understand you with the reverb kind of echoing every single time he says it. So there's a lot of repetition and it also kind of changes its meaning over the course of it. It's long enough that it can do that. It's pretty funny. It starts out feeling like this mournful thing about abstract understanding, you know, like, I don't understand you. We just, we don't understand one another anymore. But by the end, when he sings, I cannot understand you, it kind of shifts the meaning of the song and it starts to sound more like it's just two people trying to get a bad phone connection working. I just don't understand you. I cannot understand you. I don't understand you. I don't know why, but it's it's just very funny. It's also a very fun one to lip sync along while making direct eye contact with someone. Not that I'm speaking from experience. This one's pretty simple harmonically. That harpsichord is still over there on the right, which gives it some continuity with something grabbed a hold of my hand. Again, that's kind of a lot of these little continuity points that they pick in terms of instrumentation underline. For me, at least, the way that this works well as a considered collection rather than sort of a random collection of songs. So we're in A minor, I guess. It's going between G major and A minor. That's pretty straightforward, but the rhythmic phrasing is interesting. They kind of enter in the middle of a phrase so it never quite feels settled. I don't understand you. I don't understand you. I just don't understand you. I don't understand. The bridge does a nice walk up from the four chord. It goes to D minor, which is the four in A minor. D minor to E minor, to F, then up to G, which then resolves to A. So it doesn't resolve to A at the beginning of the phrase, which this whole thing is kind of slippery. The song is a little bit slippery in terms of rhythms and phrasing. I really like it. I don't understand the things you say. I can't understand a single word. I don't understand you. I just don't understand you. I cannot understand you. The next two songs keep changing things up in terms of song length. I heard a sound. I turned around. Turned around to find the thing that made the sound. Mysterious whisper. Mysterious. That first one, I heard a sound, is one of the shortest fingertips, and it's surrounded on both sides by really long ones. Mysterious Whisper, which you're hearing now, is probably the most laid back. It's just a big, slow melody that repeats four times. In the context of fingertips, it's unusual. So first, I heard a sound. The 16th fingertip is barely a song. It's really just kind of a setup. Four for a time. Band hits on two and three. 
And the downbeat you'd expect right after that actually comes, it's just in the form of the next song. I heard a sound, I turned around, turned around to find the thing that made the sound. Mysterious whisper, mysterious whisper. Mysterious whisper is another one of Flansburg's characters. It's a piano power ballad in A flat major, and it rocks those three magic chords: the one, the four, and the five. The melody is super simple, it works over all of those chords, so he sings Mysterious Whisper twice over the course of the chord progression. It's all really just very simple, it's piano and bass, so the arrangement is very simple, the melody and the harmony, very simple, and that kind of makes this one work. It's so long and drawn out and repetitive, it works as a sort of a palate cleanser, it lets you catch your breath as we head into the home stretch. The day that love came to play. The day that love came to play is a bright spot in the midst of Fingertips' generally melancholy last act. It's got this great kind of Tom Jones energy. The day that love. I really like the way Flansburg sings this. We're in F sharp major. It starts off with a big 2 5. There's a 2 minor 7 to a 5 dominant. And then it does this great double hit there on the 5. It's a C sharp 7 flat 9. So they add that flat 9. And then they land in this super cheesy, happy boogaloo in F sharp major. It ends with this pitch-perfect organ glissando that I can't really recreate. Um, so just listen to that one. Listen for all of that. Listen for that altered dominant chord. It does kind of stick out. You'll hear it even if you don't fully know what a flat nine chord sounds like, like just off the top of your head. It'll stick out. It's just got this dissonance on that hit that really kind of adds a certain something to the recording. The day that love came to play. And just like that, we're nearing the end of fingertips. The 19th fingertip brings us to an end, and it's it's not the happiest ending. It's an ending that we would all maybe like to avoid, but it's one that may come whether we want it to or not. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having, I'm having a heart attack ushers us to the end closing on a huge power ballad drum setup to the finale. That final 20th fingertip was who else but Peter Stamphill, who brought us into this thing at the beginning. He's taking us out, his banjo is silenced, and he's whispering us back to where we began four minutes and many songs ago. I'm having a heart attack. Before that, though, the heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack is an E and it moves in two directions. It really does kind of move like a heart pumping and then releasing. It starts descending. It does a standard walk down. We're in E major, so it goes from E to B over D sharp 
to C sharp minor as he sings that first phrase, I'm having a heart attack. And then it begins to move up, or at least the chords begin to move up. It goes down to F sharp minor 11, then up to C sharp over G sharp, then to A, and then to B, the five, which will then resolve back to E. It's really pretty lovely, and it's this dramatic chord progression, and I love the way that I'm Having a Heart Attack ends. It ends with this epic power ballad drum fill that's this total setup to a cathartic downbeat like you've heard in a million power ballads, but it never arrives. It sets up this downbeat, but it doesn't get there. It's a sort of a musical death. It's a song cut short right as it was getting going. Just as the drum fill reaches its apex, it just stops and it moves on to the next piece. Peter Stamfel's second fingertips appearance mirrors his first, but what began with an enthusiastic banjo twang ends with a muted, urgent whisper. The opening fingertips was in the key of G and we're now in the key of C, but other than that, the harmony of the opening and closing fingertips are actually the same, one major to six minor. The introductory track went from G major to E minor. Fingertips. Fingertips, fingertips. And the closing track goes from C major to A minor. Fingertips. Fingertips. It's a good example of how much of a different style an arrangement can make, and an incredible ending. It's one of the places where the architecture of fingertips is really the clearest. It's the same singer the same chord progression, and the same lyrics, but a completely different energy. Fingertips, fingertips, fingertips. But of course, that's not quite the end. I do think of Stanfield's reprise of fingertips as the ending of the cycle, the ending of fingertips proper, but there is one more song, one little coda, that I at least think ties everything together just beautifully. One final piece, called I Walk Along Darkened Corridors. Here we are at last at the end, a simple chord progression in F major as a solemn church organ guides a mournful, somewhat muppety man as he finds himself walking all alone here at the end of the song and the end of the tour in a shadowy, mysterious place. And this is where Fingertips snaps into focus for me, where I come to find meaning in the seeming randomness of this collection of songs. Fingertips, to me, is the story of a life and all the flashes of love, sadness, joy, and despair that come with it. 
From the fires of creation to the magic of childhood, when the wind says hello and we're all finding friends in unexpected places, to the frantic energy of young adulthood, wrecking cars, getting in fights, and finally just telling everyone to leave us alone. Yes, there's loneliness, there's paranoia, there's also life, love, and second chances. Someone may just take your hand and some good trouble may begin. It's about how life never goes where you expect it, and it never ends how you expect it either. Maybe it's as simple as a heart attack, and before you can whisper fingertips, you're walking alone through darkened corridors. I'm not the only one to have that read on fingertips, but despite that fact, my specific interpretation of what each song means is totally unique, and that's kind of the magic of fingertips. Simply by its nature, every person's interpretation will be fundamentally different for the simple reason that so much of it exists only in our minds. In their meticulous, fragmentary imaginings, John Flansburg and John Linnell harnessed so much power, but they did it not just with their own musical imaginations, they did it by harnessing ours. Fingertips lets us imagine what we will, projecting onto it our own lives, our own melodies, our own stories. It tells us so much by leaving so much unsung, unplayed, and unsaid. And That'll do it for my analysis of They Might Be Giants' fingertips. I hope this gave you a new appreciation for it. And if this episode has been your introduction to They Might Be Giants, well, I envy you. Enjoy. If you want to learn more about them, their approach to music, their history, dial a song, and more, check out the documentary Gigantic, A Tale of Two Johns. It's really good. This episode was a pretty wild amount of work, even by my standards. I've never tried anything like this before, and I'm really happy with how it came together. Special thanks to the lovely Emily Williams for lending me her ears when I was in the midst of many, many editing passes. Thanks too to all the folks who directly support me making this show over on Patreon. You all make it possible for me to take on crazy projects like, say, doing an episode on They Might Be Giants fingertips. And hey, I actually recently added an exclusive bonus podcast feed for patrons, which I'm going to be having some fun with in the future. So if you'd like to sign up to support strong songs and get access to some fun extras go to patreon.com slash strong songs next episode will be a mailbag episode so feel free to send me your questions at listeners at strongsongspodcast.com and hey visit the strong songs store there's some fun merch there you can find a link to that and all my social stuff instagram twitter mailing lists all kinds of other stuff down in the show notes I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there, and I wanted to share something for anyone who both plays an instrument and sometimes feels anxious. If that's you, try this. Just sit down with your instrument, turn on the metronome, not to anything super fast, just like 80 clicks per minute, and just play something, anything, perfectly in time. Focus on the metronome, focus on the time. Works for me anyway. This episode's outro soloist is me, recorded last year on the tenor saxophone, so stick around for that, and I'll be back before you know it with more strong songs. <laughs>